Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the differences between liberal and conservative judges as they apply the Constitution. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. He's an author. He wrote His book is Josephus of Oz. We'll be talking about what's happening in the Middle East. <clears throat> It is November the 15th, and on this day in 1777, after 16 months of debate, the Continental Congress, sitting in its temporary capital of York, Pennsylvania, agreed to uh, adopt the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union on November the 15th, 1777. Not until March the 1st, 1781, would the last of the 13 states, Maryland, ratify the agreement. In 1777, uh, patriot leaders, stinging from British op- oppression, were reluctant to establish any form of government that might infringe on the right of individual states to govern their own affairs. The Articles of Confederation then provided for only a loose federation of American states. Congress was a single house with each state having one vote and a president elected to the chair by the assembly. Although Congress did not have the right to levy taxes, or uh, it did have the authority over foreign affairs and could regulate a national army and declare war and peace. Uh, amendments to the Articles required pro- approval from 13 states, all 13 of them, and on March the 2nd, 1781, following a final ratification of the 13th state, the Articles of Confederation became the law of the land. Less than five years after the ratification of the Articles, enough leading Americans decided that the system was inadequate to the task of a government that they peacefully overthrew their second government in just over 20 years, the difference between a collection of a sovereign states forming a confederation and a federal government created by a f- uh, sovereign people lay at the heart of the debate as the new American people decided what form they, their new government would take. In 1787, an extra-legal body met in the seclusion uh, during Philadelphia's summer heat to create the new government. On March the 4th, 1789, the modern United States was established with the U.S. Constitution formally replacing the Articles of Confederation. Between 1776 and 1789, Americans went from living under a sovereign king to living in sovereign states to becoming a sovereign people. That transformation defined the American Revolution. Interesting story. Very proud of that story, too. Uh, It is unique in the history of the globe. Well, Tuesday was pretty darn good for stocks. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, rallied 500 points. And the S&P 500 enjoyed its best session since April following the release of new data that showed that U.S. inflation is slowing down. The consumer price index rose 3.2% year-over-year in October, the lowest annual rate since March of 2021. So good news for stocks, and right now futures are up too, so it looks like another good day in the market. Well, yesterday, 290,000 pro-Israel marched in Washington, D.C., 
A revised estimate put the crowd at 290,000, according to the Conference of Presidents of Major Jewish Organizations, CEO William Daroff. This is the largest pro-Israel gathering in history, he said. The March for Israel, organized by the Jewish Federation of the North America and the Conference of uh, Presidents of American Jewish Organizations, is billed as an opportunity for Americans from all walks of life to condemn rising anti-Semitism across the nation and to demand that Hamas finally release the hundreds of Israeli hostages and American hostages as well in hiding in Gaza. By the way, Congressional, on a kind of a bipartisan effort, uh, congressional leaders spoke at the massive rally uh, and hit the sentiment of some pro-Palestinian members of Congress. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Mike Johnson appeared on stage and addressed the crowd. So did House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and Senate uh, Joni Erst, as at one point the typical rivals joined hands in the show of bipartisan support for the United States Middle Eastern ally. In their addresses to the crowd, the congressional leaders made not-so-subtle jabs at the handful of pro-Palestinian members of Congress, denouncing the rhetoric used by them, which the leaders decried as pro-Hamas. Very successful and a great demonstration for the state of Israel as well as uh, a rally against anti-Semitism. Well, House lawmakers, on a vote of 336 to 95, passed a two-part stopgap spending bill yesterday that would extend government funding into 2024. The passage comes ahead of the Friday deadline, which current funding for federal agencies is due to expire. The measure now heads to the Senate, which is expected to send it to the President Biden's desk by the end of the week. The short-term extension known as a continuing resolution and proposed by House Speaker Mike Johnson won the support of Democrats but didn't receive backing from the House Freedom Caucus. The bill doesn't include spending cuts or major policy changes. The stopgap measure splits government spending for federal agencies into two groups, funding for the first group, which includes veteran benefits, Housing, transportation, agriculture, and energy and water programs will run through January the 19th, while funding for the second group, which includes the Defense Department and other remaining programs, will run through February the 2nd. Separately, in other capital news, Representative Matt Gates uh, filed a formal ethics complaint against former Speaker Kevin McCarthy after uh, Representative Tim Burkett uh, accused McCarthy of elbowing him in the back, and it, you know, it was documented by NPR, for goodness sake. I don't know what McCarthy is thinking. I think he's still got some hostile feelings about what happened to his speakership. Well, we'll see how that is resolved. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said Monday that Hamas has lost control in the Gaza Strip and as the Israel Defense Forces moved to fully capture Gaza City. And here's a quote from him. There is no force of Hamas capable of stopping the IDF. The IDF is advancing at every location. The Hamas organization has lost control of Gaza. Terrorists are fleeing south. Civilians are looting Hamas bases. They have no confidence in the government, Gallant said after holding an assessment on the fighting. On Monday evening, the army said uh, forces raided Gaza City's Rantisi Hospital, which treats children and that Hamas operatives have been holed up there. It says that it has evidence indicating hostages were held there. Underneath the hospital, in the basement, we found Hamas command and control center, suicide bomb vests, grenades, AK-47 assault rifles, explosive devices, RPGs, and other weapons, computers, money, all kinds of things, spokesman Dan Hagari said in an English-language press conference. 
The military also said it had killed a group of gunmen who had fired on troops from another Gaza City hospital, publishing footage of the incident. It announced that it had killed a number of Hamas commanders in airstrikes over the last past day and provided details on its efforts to eliminate field commanders and disrupt the terror group's operations in the Gaza Strip over the past few weeks. According to the IDF, before October the 7th, Hamas had some 30,000 fighters in the Gaza Strip, split into five regional brigades, 24 battalions, and some 140 companies. Each Hamas brigade had an anti-attack missile array, sniper, engineering teams, air defenses, and rocket firing array, the IDF said. Each brigade also had a number of outposts and strongholds in their respective regions. In the, uh, the IDF has said to have focused on killing the commanders of the brigades and battalions, especially those in northern Gaza, where the military is carrying out its uh, offensive group. <clears throat> Can you meet, imagine putting their headquarters under a hospital for children? These people are, are animals, and uh, the Israelis are doing a great job. This, this uh, particular story indicates to me that they're ahead of schedule in eliminating the commanders of Hamas. Well, world leaders are preparing for an annual anti-Asian Pacific, annual Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, summit in San Francisco this week. President Biden and Xi's leader Xi Jinping are set to meet in in person today for the first time in a year. When the two last huddled at the G20 summit in November 2022, China's economy was expected to pull a massive post-COVID rebound. Instead, the country has been dogged by aged population, uh, a sputtering real estate market, exodus of foreign investment, and a declining value of its currency. So what might go down in this meeting? Well, China's economic pains could make uh, Z more inclined to defrost its relationship with the United States. The two leaders will try to establish or reestablish military communication, and they'll announce a deal for China to curb illicit exports of the deadly opioid fentanyl. There are signs that both sides want to ease economic tensions as well. Yesterday, Biden suggested that it might be open expanding trade under certain conditions, while Beijing recently made a symbolic gesture by ordering a bunch of American soybeans. Though APEC rarely uh, produces breakthroughs, companies of both countries are now hoping that Z and Biden rubbing elbows might reduce trade restrictions. U.S. multinationals like Apple and Tesla, which rely on Chinese suppliers, producers, and customers, want China to be less harsh in regulating foreign businesses. A legion of American executives, including Elon Musk and Microsoft's uh, president, are attending the summit, which many are reportedly trying to get on the list of the uh, Schmoozfest dinner with Z. APEC is a big deal for San Francisco, too, as the Golden City struggles with its post-COVID recovery. In the lead-up to the summit, local officials beautified the streets, ramped up the laws and law enforcement, and moved some unhoused people into shelters. Uh, but in spite of that, a Czech news crew covering the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit uh, fell victim to armed robbery on Sunday evening in the Bay Area. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, the TV journalist was uh, filming the iconic City Lights bookstore in San Francisco at dusk. Three masked individuals, brandishing firearms, approached and forcibly took uh, the equipment valued at $18,000 before making a quick wet getaway in a sedan. So they beautified the city. It's all the outs- the, uh, but they haven't <laughs> solved the crime problem for sure. 
And also, uh, Biden is set to strike a deal with China that would limit their use of artificial intelligence and nuclear weapons. Uh, he's also uh, going to meet with uh, President Xi on Wednesday at the Asia-Pacific Conference today uh, in Seven, where the two leaders are expected to also sign an agreement to limit AI's use in military applications, according to a report from Business Insider. According to the report, Biden and Xi will agree to limit AI use in the systems that control and deploy nuclear weapons. And that sounds like a pretty good idea. We don't want artificial intelligence making decisions to uh, destroy the Earth. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato, or I should say chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. 
Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about the, the difference between liberal and conservative judges and the way they understand and apply the Constitution. Let's start off with a, a question about how the Supreme Court currently stacks up with regard to conservative versus liberal judges. Well, un until Scalia uh, died, the, the mix was four conservatives, four liberals, and one swing vote, and that was Kennedy, who tended to lean conservative. Um, and that mix wasn't changed by Gorsuch's uh, appointment to fill Scalia's seat. But then Kavanaugh uh, took Kennedy's seat, and that certainly moved the court in a more conservative direction. And finally, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement by conservative Amy Coney Barrett sort of sealed the deal for conservatives. So the mix became six conservatives and three liberals, and that stayed the same uh, after the latest appointment by Biden, which was Katanji Brown-Jackson replacing uh, Stephen Breyer at the end of June of uh, last year. So right now, six conservatives, three liberals. Thanks, Bob. So how do, the, how do the Republicans justify their rush job appointing Amy Coney Barrett after they blocked Merrick Garland's appointment? Well, Senator McConnell uh, had stated that Garland should not be confirmed in a presidential election year uh, if the Senate and the presidency were controlled by opposite parties. So he argued that under those circumstances, the voters should have an opportunity in the election to determine who would nominate the next uh, justice. So in, in the Barrett case, uh, by comparison, the Senate and the presidency were controlled by the same party. And supposedly, uh, that's why McConnell was willing to confirm Barrett, uh, but not Garland. Uh -huh. But, you know, I think it's interesting to note that Barrett's confirmation occurred just eight days before an election. And that, that election, as it turned out, left Democrats in control of both the presidency and, and the Congress. So that didn't jibe with McConnell's principle that the voters should decide. So I, I think the more likely explanation is that the Republicans were simply playing hardball politics, just as the Democrats would have done if the tables uh, were turned. There were no rules broken or changed. And in fact, you know, when the Democrats held the Senate, uh, Chuck Schumer, I remember, had had this to say. He said, we should not confirm any Bush nominee to the Supreme Court except in extraordinary circumstances. And and even Biden, uh, when he was chair of the executive uh, of the Judiciary Committee, he said the president uh, the pre president should follow precedent and not name a nominee until after uh, the election. And he even said the committee shouldn't even schedule confirmation hearings mm. until after the political campaign uh, was over. So you know what's involved here is politics. Not necessarily good government, but something that both parties engage in. Yeah, you'd, you'd expect to have some sort of a 
discourse uh, on the policies and uh, the thoughts. But unfortunately, there's so much politics involved. And, and since uh, Bork, his confirmation hearing, confirmation hearings aren't very illuminating, what types of questions might be more constructive? You know, I think the nominee should answer questions regarding his, his or her judicial philosophy and not questions <clears throat> regarding cases or issues uh, that are likely to come before the court. So, you know, a couple of suggestions would be, um, does the government or the individual have the burden of proof when there's a challenge to a law or a regulation that's in restraint of personal liberty? So, in, in other words, should judges presume that a statute is constitutional unless the plaintiff shows that his rights have been violated, or should judges presume that the government's actions were not justified unless the government shows that they were? It's a burden of proof issue. I think a second possible question would be, uh, can a constitutional provision apply more broadly than the ratifiers intended? For example, you know, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, 1868, barred racial discrimination, and it was interpreted to bar racial discrimination in public schools, even though that was the prevailing practice for 90 years after the amendment was, uh, was ratified. Uh. So clearly the amendment was read more widely than the, tech, than the text would have indicated. Uh, you know, we, we might want to know, does the text sometimes require an assessment of so-called evolving standards? For example, what, what's meant by an unreasonable search or by cruel and unusual uh, punishment? And then, finally, the Ninth Amendment says, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others that are retained by the people. So I think a key issue here is, should the court treat unenumerated rights differently than they treat enumerated rights? Those are the kinds of questions that I think would be uh, indi indicative of the judge's judicial uh, philosophy rather than opining on a case that might come before the court. Oh, thank you for that, Bob. So Chief Justice uh, John Roberts claims that the court is not political. Was he correct when he said we do not have an Obama judge or a Trump judge? Well, he obviously knows that presidents get to nominate their choices and their choices are likely going to have the same political philosophy <clears throat> as the president's. So I think what he meant was that each judge should have a primary allegiance and responsibility to the law and the Constitution as, as they, he or she perceives it, and not an allegiance to the president's policy uh, preferences. So the Supreme Court justices appointed by liberals are certainly going to disagree with the justices appointed by conservatives, but that's because they have a different theory of constitutional interpretation. Mm. It's not because their actions are necessarily directed at satisfying the president or satisfying his electoral base. So I think the key there is judicial independence. And in that sense, I think Roberts was mostly right that the court is not political. It is independent. Interesting. So does the court usually split along liberal conservative lines? Well, interesting. You know, since 2000, about half of the decisions have been 9-zip or 8-1 or 7-2. Less, less than a fifth of the cases were 5-4, and half of those were, were not split along liberal and conservative lines. 
Uh, uh, during a recent uh, recent terms, Roberts has tried to portray the court as principled rather than uh, politicized, and a few of the key decisions were seven two or or six three. The liberals were pleased, you know, when the court upheld the right of a gay person to be free from discrimination in the workplace, and the conservatives uh, were were pleased when religious organizations were exempted from providing employees with insurance for. Uh, contraceptives. Uh, Kavanaugh and Roberts occasionally sided with the liberals. Kagan occasionally sided with the conservatives. I, I think still it is true that most of the hot-button cases were, in fact, decided along conventional ideological lines, but that doesn't necessarily indicate that politics governed the decision. So interesting. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. You as well. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up. You can go to the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. 
Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So we typically start our discussions with good news. Uh, And the background on this is uh, Andy kind of uh, puts himself in the role of being uh, somewhat of a pessimist, and I'm seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. So, well, uh, I mean, I think at this point, I don't consider myself a pessimist, but a realist. I think those are, at this point in America, very closely related situations. But I do have some good news stories. Let me start out with a couple of quotations, which I, I'm, I, I generally am prone to do. Uh, in regards to many Republicans voting with, uh, with Democrats in, in the Congress, I'm going to refer back to a, a quote that uh, Dan Bongino has used for, for actually many years. And he tries to explain this by saying, many Republicans are Democrats. But no Democrats are Republicans. Mm. And I think that's probably very valid. I think what we see in many red or purplish states, that uh, people who are essentially Democrats to get elected uh, pose as, as Republicans and even conservatives and get elected on that basis. When they get to Congress, their, their true reality comes out. So I think Bongino's code is well worth noting in terms of, of how we proceed in the, in the elections, particularly coming up in 2024. Uh, great point. I, I think that's absolutely correct. Well, and there's uh, many cases where they have been documented that uh, people who run on the Republican Party have actually uh, gone completely to the Democrat side when they get into Congress. It, it's hard to avoid. I mean, people are so uh, persuaded by, by, by fancy words, by fancy rhetoric, that they, uh, they somehow totally ignore that words are cheap and a reality is something entirely different. So right. I think there has to be more, uh, more inspection of the candidates going back into their uh, essential positions from their background and so forth. And they have to have validated themselves over time. Right. This can't be a recent conversion to the faith. This has to be something that can be seen in their, their essential being over an extended period political period of time, Bob. So I, I think we have to start being wiser in terms of, of how we approach these elections. Uh, many Republicans, and I guess I'm actually one of them, They always, uh, I always throw the, the Republican lever down as compared to the Democrat. I have to be more careful, and I think all Americans have to be more careful as to how they approach these elections, Bob. Uh, good point, Andy. Any other good news, or I should say any quotes? Well, there's a quote from uh, Moliere going back to uh, somewhat in, in, uh, in time to, uh, to, French, to, to French literature. Moliere says, it is not only for what we do that we are held responsible, but also for what we do not do. And I think that's something also to keep in mind, that, uh, that many people feel they're, they're on the right path if they're not doing the wrong things. Uh, on the other hand, Moliere is suggesting, and I would support that, uh, that essentially it is, it is the things that we don't do. They have to be equally weighed in terms of whether or not we are on the right path. And right now in America, I see many people that are just not doing the right thing. So I think that's an important thing also to, to, to keep in mind as a, as a general feeling, Bob. I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of interesting that Mike Johnson, our Speaker of the House now, has decided on this laddered approach to continuing the resolution. And somehow he makes the announcement that now things are going to go smooth because we'll be able to implement conservative policies in January. You know, I think the job gets tougher for him, not easier as a result of what he's done. He should have fought the good fight today as opposed to putting it off until January. Well, you know, I mean, I, I look, I, I like Mike Johnson. Uh, I think uh, his his impact and value is yet to be uh, fully experienced, if, if it will be experienced. I, I'm not suggesting anything negative at all about Mike Johnson. Uh, but I think that the the future waits to be seen, as, as has often been said. So, you know, I'm rooting for him. I hope that he's, he's got the stuff to, to hold it together. He'll be under strong opposition, right. not only from the Democrats, but also from many in his own party. So uh, he's got a tough road ahead. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about it. So, uh, 
you know, I'm rooting for him because I'm rooting for America, and I think Mike Johnson is a is a major cog in that in that in that wheel, Bob. So I uh, I hope he gets the job done. I do too. And to your quote, also, I think that the quote that you just mentioned speaks to the uh, the need for character among American citizens taking responsibility. Uh, we have too little of that right now, and we need more in order to be a uh, as as a uh, Benjamin Franklin said, walking out of the uh, chambers. In Philadelphia, you said, you know, uh, we'll have a democracy if or a republic if we earn it. And uh, that's what he was referring to is the character of the people. If we earn it or if, if we can keep it. I, yeah. I'm not sure which way that, that, that quotation went. If we look at his quotation, I think he's unduly optimistic. He, he offers it as a hypothetical if question. Uh, so essentially, if we look at democracies over the long course of their, of their history, they've always failed. They've always failed. Right. Uh, democracies inevitably turn into variations of dictatorships with the majority rule and so forth. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can, uh, we can not fall into that historic pattern, uh, yet that is the pattern. So I think we're reaching that moment where democracy is, in fact, leading us to, uh, to some very bad ends at this point, Bob. I would agree with that. So, so Andy, any good news? There is a good news story um, coming out of Gaza, actually. A recent story indicates that uh, hundreds, uh, perhaps even thousands of Gazans are cooperating with the IDF in terms of uh, helping the IDF locate um, uh, Hamas tunnels, Hamas headquarters, Hamas fighters, uh, Hamas lock, rocket launching points, and so forth. Uh, so this is being accomplished with, uh, with financial compensation and giving uh, these people, these informants, uh, free passage and security that they will be uh, protected uh, in Israel, I'm presuming. I, I didn't get that part of the story. Uh, but I think if we see that kind of action from Gazans, uh, that that is a good news story. It, it depends how large a story it is. It depends whether it, uh, it has more meaning than just what I'm indicating. Uh, but I think when we see Gazans that are uh, on the right side of that issue, that is a good news story, Bob. It is. And, of course, uh, Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said yesterday that, uh, or Monday, I guess it was, that the Hamas has lost control of the Gaza Strip. Uh, his comments indicate to me that uh, progress is good with regard to taking out the leaders of, uh, of uh, the uh, uh, terrorist organization. So uh, I think we're making good progress. I, I think that there there is progress. I, I have some uh, significant negatives to be offered as we get further into this conversation, Bob. But uh, at this point, uh, I think there is there is movement forward. Uh, I am more concerned with uh, perhaps the world uh, than I am at in the immediacy of the geography of Israel. Right. Uh, when I see the uh, prevailing attitudes towards Israel, the labeling of their actions, necessary actions as as being genocide, they don't seem to even understand what the word genocide suggests. Uh, recently, just uh, I believe yesterday, day before yesterday, uh, 2,000 worldwide sociologists uh, signed a, a, a letter indicating their support for Gaza, and more importantly than just supporting Gaza, they accused the, the Israelis of being genocidal. Uh, so here you have uh, 2,000 sociologists, PhDs in sociology, teaching at the university level worldwide, yeah. who actively have supported the, the, uh, essentially the actions of Hamas and have labeled Israel uh, genocidal. Uh, that is uh, too often a pattern we're seeing. Just yesterday, I believe, there uh, were hundreds of, of Jews that were uh, going to the rally, the uh, pro-Israeli rally in Washington, D.C. The buses refused to pick them up and take them to the rally. 
This really? is a, a, uh, an event in the United States. <clears throat> These are bus drivers with that responsibility as part of their job integrity, and they refuse to take these Jewish citizens uh, to a rally in, in D.C. I mean, these are the kinds of things that I think are... Uh, and by the way, I, I would suggest if these bus drivers are comfortable in doing that, it indicates that this is the prevailing world that they live in. This is the world that, that is their world. It is anti-Israel. It is anti uh, the, the, uh, the, the state of Israel. And I would say uh, it's anti-Semitic. I would also align that remark with the, with the sociologists uh, who, in fact, supported Hamas. So uh, it is these kinds of things that I find extremely distracting uh, in terms of uh, the way the world is thinking. Are they ra- is the world rational? Are humans showing that they have earned the right to survival because they're rational. And I haven't seen that being uh, front and center in terms of uh, what we're experiencing right now, Bob. On the other hand, 290,000 folks showing up in Washington, D.C. to support Israel and uh, uh, to fight anti-Semitism and to support Jews, to me, a very positive thing. Well, it, it, that's positive, and I certainly I, I can't disagree with the, the implication of it. Uh, I would put it in the same category as 500,000 showing up for Trump's speech on, uh, on January 6th back in 2021. Uh, in other words, it is a, it's a large turnout. It indicates a tremendous support uh, for, uh, the, for, for Donald Trump. Uh, but as the events unfolded, it, it revealed an underlying uh, uh, problem. Uh, as we've seen unfolding since that point in time. And, and I would suggest, I, I think you're right, that's a positive moment when that many people show up, but this underlying reality where we, we see so many that are offering up these, these absurd and, and grotesque comments about, about the nature of Israelis' need to defend themselves, uh, I think that is, that's a problem that I see is, 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 is festering and becoming larger and larger. Yeah, and but I'm not disagreeing with you. But, you know, but, but again, to your point, a real demonstration of their own of this ignorance within the uh, populace. Andy, we need to take just a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. Buddy. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. By the way, uh, you've heard us talk about Lulubee's Diner. Uh, it's where uh, Andy and I get together for breakfast with uh, friends on occasion. Well, now Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center is serving dinners, dinner Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. And the menu's just terrific, a great value. And uh, you'll really enjoy the food there and the service. Again, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author, author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, any more good news? Just, just one good news story. As you know, I'm very focused on culture as the major implication uh, that for the future of, of America, or any nation for that matter. Uh, right now, there was a recent uh, study done by, by UCLA, which indicated, and this may not sound dramatic, but I think it is in many ways, that a majority of young teens now see that sex isn't needed for the plot of most TV shows and movies, and, and that dating is overdone. In other words, young teens, middle-aged teens, are moving away from this, uh, this immersion that they've had in sexuality, in nothing but romance and dating movies, and they're, they're tired of it. Now, certainly this number may not sound big. It was like 51%, so it's not a dramatic majority. Uh, but on the other hand, if we look at some of the previous numbers, let's go back five years, let's say, the numbers at that point were, were only 10% thought that that was inappropriate. Now that number is up to about 50%. So this kind of cultural movement, I think, is an important thing to understand. Uh, it's often ignored, but the implication that it's the, the culture is shifting is something that has to be paid attention to. And I'm hoping this one little story may be an indication of that, Bob. Uh, let's hope so, Andy. That's so interesting. I'd like to add my own good news. Uh, yesterday, scientists found that even doing one small act of kindness each day can boost your mood by over 25% each week. It's based on analysis of surveys involving 11,000 people. According to the study, anything from a gratitude list to doing something kind to others has a sizable impact on mood each week. As one researcher put it, it could lead to a greater well-being, better coping, less stress, more satisfaction with relationships. Well, I think that's just a terrific find and, and uh, something that should be passed on to people. I think it goes back to if we all just light one little candle, the world will be a brighter place. I think right. that's, uh, that's essentially what you're, you're alluding to, Bob, and I, I agree with it. Sometimes people think they don't have any, any ability to impact, but collectively, collectively, if we make these kind of choices, uh, the, uh, may, maybe this thing can be turned in the right direction, Bob. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, Andy. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the Middle East? 
Yeah, I mean, I really do. I think there are many stories that have been ignored. Most of them revolve around around Islam uh, as compared to talking about uh, Gazans or Palestinians and Iran and so forth. Uh, I think the, the very concept of Islam has been left out of this, this whole story. Mm. If, for example, we just look at Islamic law contained within Sharia law, uh, it is not possible that, an, that a Muslim can willfully allow a land that was formerly under the control of Islam, that would be a Dar al-Islam, uh, that has now become Dar al-Harb, the land of war, a land that has moved away from being under the control of Islam, can ever be allowed to stay in that situation. So if we're looking at Israel, uh, in 600, it was the, uh, the forces of, uh, in the 600s, the forces of Muhammad uh, that uh, took over that area at that point, controlled it entirely by Islam. So this is an operative philosophy that cannot be rejected. So those that presume that at some point there'll be a peace between uh, Palestinians, Arabs, Gaza, however you want to position it, and Israel will always be offset by the essential Islamic uh, code in, in Sharia law that this land can never be allowed to stay in the hands uh, of the infidels, the Jews, in this particular case. You know, Andy, uh, and of course you're talking about the fundamentalists of Islam, uh, but there's others, and, and of course you've heard me speak about and uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser, who's uh, founded the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. There are Islam, uh, 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 Muslims that want to have a separation of church and state in, in America and across the world. And uh, within that movement, so there's a, a couple of movements going on, but I would agree with you, the majority uh, of uh, Muslims cannot tolerate having Israel as a nation. I, I would suggest, Bob, that no real Muslim would ever see the people you're alluding to to be real Muslims. Uh, so again, if, if we talk about the, the movement away from these dogmas, uh, those people that move away from those dogmas will never be accepted into mainstream Islamic thought. Uh, so yeah, I'm optimistic. No, forget that word. I am hopeful uh, that these moderates uh, can, in fact, uh, impact on this, on this equation, uh, but there's no historic reason to believe that they will. Uh, ultimately, when, uh, when the day is done, uh, it will be Islamic law that will dominate the, the situation. So if we're looking at Israel, uh, it can never be allowed to exist because of that. So, you know, again, always, Bob, I'm, I'm hopeful that your, your positions, uh, not only your positions, but those type of positions are correct, uh, yet I, I see no historic reason to believe that. So, we don't disagree. I think we're seeing a, uh, this same situation, um, whether we're optimistic and pessimistic about it. So, right. uh, but let, let's see how it unfolds. Um, I have been, since the start of this uh, Hamas uh, assault on, on Israeli citizens, the, 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 the grotesque horrors they created, uh, to me the only answer has been a, a separation of Israelis from, the, from the, uh, the, the Gazans, from the Palestinians, from the Muslims in that area. I don't think they can ever live in a contiguous situation. Now, many people who do ascribe to that position uh, advocate for the two-state solution, as if somehow, if they miraculously just declare this Palestinian territory to be a national state, a government uh, control from Gaza City, for example, that this will end the problem. Uh, this is being resisted by, uh, by Palestinians, by, by the Islamic world, supported by some, but resisted. Uh, this is a very dangerous thing if it happens for these Palestinians. Why is it, why is it dangerous? 
if, for example, what Hamas did on October 7th were the actions of a state, a national government, then the Israeli response would have absolutely no need for restraint. Uh, right now, it is being approached as if this is a, uh, a terrorist operation from a given area, but not indicative of the entirety. If it becomes a state, then the whole equation changes. We'd have to imagine if there was the state of, of Palestine, a government state of Palestine, and 1,400 Israelis were slaughtered by that government, then the whole military equation changes. So this is a very dangerous situation for the Palestinians. I don't believe it will ever come to pass. So I think in the separation uh, issue, I don't think the two-state solution uh, will ever happen. There's too much resistance, legitimate resistance, in, in my opinion. But then that leaves open the question of, of how do you separate them. I think one of the uh, things that I've advocated for, and I'm seeing more and more, uh, is that Israel create a buffer zone within Gazan territory. How, how large that buffer zone must be is, uh, has not been defined. Let's say it's a half mile. So a half mile of Gazan territory is leveled, is salted, is turned into no man's land. And that becomes an area that Israel can more easily uh, protect itself against, uh, against these type of terrorist attacks. Uh, so if that occurs, uh, then, then there might be a chance of Israel uh, protecting itself. So we have to see if, if that can possibly become a potential. If that could happen, and the Arab world really has the sympathy for the Palestinians that they suggest they do, and they take in some Palestinian refugees, not the United States, the Arab world, uh, and essentially rebuild Gaza, because there's plenty of money in the Arab world. So if Israel can buffer themselves against uh, that uh, that potential of, of terrorist attack. If the Arab world just does its job for its neighbors, its friends, these Palestinians, then perhaps, perhaps there's a chance of moving this whole equation forward. Uh, I'm not obviously optimistic about anything I said, uh, to a large extent, because just uh, a week ago, perhaps, Blinken said, Blinken, uh, Secretary of State, indicated that Israel cannot reduce the size of Gaza. I think he was directly talking about what I just was talking about, the creation of a buffer zone. Yeah. Now, I think that is, that's a problem when America is interceding, is, is demanding that Israel take legitimate actions off the table. And I think that is what the United States has done. And by, in fact, doing that, I think the chances for long-term peace have been dramatically reduced, Bob. I know it's so ironic to have somebody going in there and giving advice from the United States when they can't uh, manage our own affairs. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. And also, to your point, that other states, Egypt and other surrounding Jordan, won't take in the Palestinians. They refuse to open their borders to allow these people to find uh, some sort of uh, peaceful place uh, while this uh, t taking out the uh, the. Uh, terrorists uh, is occurring. Well, so. last week I had alluded to the, uh, the slaughter of 25,000 um, uh, Palestinians by King Hussein of Jordan in 1970, Black September, uh, the, the horrors that the PLO delivered to Beirut in Lebanon, yeah. uh, the, uh, the slaughter of Palestinians in Hamas, that's where Hamas comes from, by Syrians uh, back uh, several decades. Uh, so if you look at the long-term interaction of the Palestinians, the people called Palestinians, there are no Palestinians, the long-term impact, it has been, it has been uh, rebuffed entirely by the Arab world because the Palestinians have, 
have created nothing but havoc and chaos in the countries to which they go. So the Arab world is not just keeping the, uh, the Palestinians isolated to Gaza, in this case, uh, because of, of the need to torment Israel, but also because there is a real fear of the, Israel, of, of the Palestinian actions if they become significantly located on their territory. Yeah. Uh, let me just make one more point before I, before I stop this long diatribe. Uh, it, back uh, during the Arab Spring, uh, the uh, Muslim Brotherhood was democratically elected to the leadership of Egypt. Uh, now, that was democracy at work. Now, the, if it, Egypt was under the control of the Muslim Brotherhood, I, I don't even think we could imagine uh, the, the threat that that would represent. Fortunately, and I have to say this fortunately about a military coup, a military coup by al-Sisi uh, removed the Muslim Brotherhood from right. control of Egypt. And al-Sisi is still the controlling factor in, in Egypt at this point. Uh, so I know we advocate for democracy, and I know categorically we generally reject uh, military coups. But in this case, one of the most important positive things that happened was that, that military coup by al-Sisi to remove the Muslim Brotherhood, brotherhood uh, from Egypt. Great point, Andy. Hey, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability to help elected officials have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. So, Andy, uh, we've talked a little bit about the Middle East, and uh, what are your thoughts on Iran? Let's talk about Iran and Islam. Let me just make another point before I get there. I've long studied the issue of just wars. It's been a significant <clears throat> philosophic issue for, for the centuries. Uh, if we go back to St. Augustine of Hippo and we go to Thomas Aquinas and uh, in the religious area and the secular philosophers, all have, have put forth positions on what constitutes a just war. I won't go into the details of, of the, the final destination of these discussions uh, because it's too long, but I will say if your readers or your listeners uh, would just review some of these concepts, they'll find that the war that Israel is fighting, by every definition, Bob, mm. is a just war. By every single definition. I'll, I'll just leave it there for today. Perhaps I'll get back to that later. Well, let me but say if, let me say this. I, I found a column on, of all places, CNN, and it was written by a, a former military, I, I think he was special forces of some sort, but he, went, he itemized uh, and he went through a litany of all the things that are happening right now in Israel in their urban warfare and suggested that they are doing everything to dot their I's and cross their T's with regard to their approach to uh, Hamas. And uh, I thought it was just an outstanding column. Yeah, I mean, if we look at everything that uh, that would be in a just war, proportionality and so forth, and not not fighting for revenge, but for necessary protection, so forth, the uh, wars of self-defense. I mean, uh, the the concepts of a just war are absolutely contained within the prior uh, process that impacted on Israel and Israel's response. So it's a it's a very long but important discussion. And I, again, I perhaps like to get back to it at, a, at another point. Uh, with the little time we have left, let me just allude to Iran. Uh, Iran is an apocalyptic nature. It is a nation. It is comprised of Twelvers. Now, Twelvers who believe they're, they're waiting for the return of the Mahdi. This is a sort of a messianic figure in, uh, in, a, in, in Shia uh, form of, of, uh, of, of Islam. Uh, and again, it's apocalyptic is because they, they anticipate that this will bring on the end of the world and Islam's uh, Muslims will be the only one that are saved after this war. So the point I'm making is if people review uh, the, the philosophy of the Twelvers, and almost everyone in uh, Iran who was in leadership is a Twelver. Uh, it is the dominant position of Shia Islam. And Shia is the other competing school uh, with Sunni uh, in Islam uh, that most, no, forget, the vast majority of people in Iran uh, the Muslims in Iran are, in fact, apocalyptic Twelvers. Uh, this is something that we have to keep in mind uh, as we go forward. Iran is not a rational state. Uh, again, there are obviously going to be some some thinkers in Iran who in, are in that category. But the ultimate decision making from Ayatollah uh, Khamenei and, and the other leadership, when we go back to uh, the former Ahmadinejad, uh, essentially we're looking at people that uh, want to provoke a mass a massive cataclysm uh, to bring on the return of the Mahdi and the dominance of Islam worldwide. So I think you know, these seem like exotic positions to most. Americans. They, they can't believe that anyone in a modern world would, would ascribe to it or be driven by it. And yet, I can make the point and defend it, 
that that is what Iran is, yeah. an apocalyptic statement. Well, I must say, these are chilling thoughts, Andy, but I think you're absolutely right. Andy, Andrew Jopper, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, not on topic for today's discussion, but a terrific read, uh, again, uh, Josephus of Oz. Andy, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here and solve all the world's problems. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I really appreciate your tuning in and listening to the show. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, I hope you pass the word on to your friends. It's one of the ways we support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>